This is Chapter 47 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. Coming up, we talk with author Chloe Benjamin, whose new book really makes you think about one of life's biggest hypothetical questions. What if you knew the day you were going to die? Heavy stuff, I know. Would you squeeze everything you could out of life? Or would you let the knowledge cripple you and hang over your head? That's the big question the four gold children grapple with in Chloe Benjamin's The Immortalists. She took time out of her 16-city book tour to talk to our Marla Diamond about it. Your book, fascinating, deals with four siblings living on the Lower East Side who visit a psychic who tells them the day that they will die. And then we find out how they deal with this prophecy. Take it from there. Yeah, well, I think you did a great job. Um, After they find out these potential prophecies, the book follows them over the course of their lives. So each sibling has one quarter of the novel after that prologue, and uh, it follows about 50 years of American and interpersonal history and uh, questions the way that fate and chance and expectation shape our futures. You chose a very interesting question that what is the day that we die? It might even be frightening to some, and I understand that it's really struck a chord with your readers. I think it has, and I I feel that that's why this book is reaching a, a wider audience than my past work. I think it's the sort of book that has a lot of universal appeal. None of us know what comes after death. All of us, to some extent, are probably mystified or maybe a little bit frightened of it. And it seems like it's the kind of book that people want to discuss after they read it, which means a lot, whether they're discussing it with a book club or friends or their family. Mm-hmm. It definitely raises questions of whether we would want to know something like that. Would you want to know? what? No, would you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't. Um, it's kind of scary. Some people yeah. do, though. It's interesting. It When I'm at reading, sometimes I ask the audience if they would want to know. And there have been like increasingly uh, more and more people who say yes. Mm. There have been a couple stops where I probably had, I don't know, a quarter or a third of the room say that they would, which really surprised me. Can you imagine what that would do to the stock market? I can't even <laughs> <laughs> Everybody has their life savings Yo, in there. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the siblings... Um, deal with this uh, death date in, in different ways, some some in the same ways, um, but they experience life through the lens of history, and none more so than Simon, the youngest of the four siblings, living as a gay man in San Francisco during the AIDS crisis. I'm wondering why you chose that spot for Simon. Yeah, I always knew that Simon would leave home young and go to San Francisco. I knew he was gay. Uh, I grew up in San Francisco, and I grew up with two sets of parents, one gay and one straight. So the gay community and gay rights have always been incredibly important to me. And uh, that said, I wasn't alive in the early days of the AIDS crisis. So despite my personal relationship to the material, I really did a ton of research in order to write that section with integrity. Mm-hmm. And um, he takes a lot of chances. Yeah. Yeah, he's not like me. <laughs> um, yeah, he you know, it's... lives life to its fullest. He does. He, I think of all the siblings, he's the one who uses the prophecy as a motivator. And um, it's interesting. I've, I worried that people wouldn't connect with Simon because I think there's an element of youthful selfishness to mm-hmm. what he does. This isn't giving 
much away because it all happens in the very early, maybe the first 30 pages of the book. But he leaves the family business. He leaves his responsibilities at home. He leaves their mother. And uh, I thought, oh, people aren't going to like this character. But I've been shocked to find that overwhelmingly he's the one that people say they connect with the most. Mm. And so I think there's something about that idea of having the courage to live as you really are and follow your dreams that really resonates with people. Mm. And then the second part deals with Clara's story. She's a magician, Mm -hmm. a female magician, which is pretty rare. Mm -hmm. Um, And she deals with mystery and magic and the difficulties of being a a woman uh, and magician and also dealing with some mental illness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us a little bit about her story. A very interesting trajectory for a young Jewish woman to, Mm. you know, you know, who came from the Lower East Side Mm. to go into this, but she does have a a thread there. Um, Her her grandmother, I believe, was a vaudeville performer. Yeah, you're exactly right. So Clara's grandmother, Clara Sr., they actually share the same name, was a young Jewish woman who came through Ellis Island from Hungary at turn of the century. Um, and she was funneled into a boarding school for Jewish girls in New York that was meant to train them into being good secretaries. And Clara Sr. left and became a vaudeville performer and later a circus performer. And she was actually based on a real woman named Tiny Klein, who was an absolutely incredible rule breaker and trailblazer and she originated this trick called the jaws of life Mm -hmm. that in my book inspires clara jr um so clara you're right she like her grandmother is bucking expectations for the time even though gosh over 60 years have passed between Mm -hmm. you know clara senior's story and clara jr's story women still remain incredibly rare in magic, and frankly, they still do today in 2018. So Clara's story for me is very much about watching how she makes her way in this field as a woman and what the parallels are with her mother's story, her grandmother's story, and then, of course, our world today. Mm-hmm. And then we get to Daniel, um, whose story really made me question if death is a self-fulfilling prophecy or predetermined. Mm-hmm. Um, he, in sort of a midlife crisis mode, ends up meeting up many years later with the psychic mm-hmm. and obviously is very distressed and angry mm-hmm. at her. And they have a confrontation and he, she says to him, um, if you didn't like what you heard, you can believe me, don't believe me, live like you don't believe me. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't really. He says mm-hmm. he does, but he doesn't really. Mm-hmm. And that was really frustrating for I me. I know. I think a lot of people are really frustrated by Daniel's section, and I totally understand that. It is it is frustrating. In some ways, I think it's the most tragic because yeah. it feels like it could have been the most preventable. Mm-hmm. And there's this element of really like shooting himself in the foot. Like He didn't have to go the way that he did. And I think Daniel is... In some ways, the I mean, certainly he's the most different from me. There's a lot about him that is not um, – I don't like using the word likable or unlikable in, in regards to characters. I, that whole debate doesn't really interest me that much. But I, at the same time, I find him really moving. Like, I have a lot of empathy for him. I 
try to understand why he does what he does and not judge him for it. And I think that's my job as the author. And I think there are many of us who make bad decisions and who are driven by impulses that we would like to pretend we don't have. When I read his story, it it seemed that he wasn't unhappy, but he wasn't overly happy. And maybe he was dealing with guilt. He's Mm -hmm. a medical doctor who decides who's going to go over to the Iraq war Mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I just was puzzled um, that he would put himself in in the position that he did by confronting Mm -hmm. the psychic when he had a seemingly perfect life, Mm -hmm. but maybe not so perfect. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the question of so much bad behavior among (laughs) us as human beings you know like when you when you have so much good why do you chase the rabbit down the hole and uh for me his section is very much about how somebody who feels a great legacy of guilt both in his own family and in his current position um is able to offload that guilt when he finds a source to blame yeah so that is the root of his actions to me. Right. Got it. And uh, the thread that sort of connects the siblings, because they're, it, it they're not extremely close. They mm-hmm. don't communicate a lot mm-hmm. once they leave the, the nest, mm-hmm. um, is the mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, she seems to be the strongest mm-hmm. of all the characters, you know. And, and I guess she never knows the secret of the kids. Well, eventually, at the very end, she may somebody may give her a little yeah. tip off. Um, but yeah, she's this kind of classic Jewish mother archetype in a lot of ways. But I also wanted to give her her own um, selfhood and individuality. And I think in some ways she's kind of an unsung hero. She's got mm. a lot of heart and mm-hmm. grit. She's a survivor, like a lot of women of that time, a lot of women of any time. And uh, so, yeah, she she goes through a lot. Mm. Um, and uh, finally, you get to Varya in the mm-hmm. closing chapters of the book. She's the oldest sibling, mm-hmm. and she is really the only one who tries to control her destiny. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about her. Yeah, so Varya is... Um, a- it's not giving too much away to say that she receives a date of death from this woman that is very far out. And yet, paradoxically, she has a lot of anxiety and a desire to control her life. And so she is a scientist. She's trying to extend the human lifespan, which certainly comes out of her own feelings of guilt and remorse about what's happened to her family. And she's working with primates, trying to figure out if reducing caloric intake can extend their lifespan. So in her section, the question is surviving versus really living. Mm -hmm. And she also deals with sort of OCD or, Mm -hmm. you know, as a way of controlling her situation. Mm -hmm. what role did you want religion to play in the book? Why did you make this family uh, Jewish? The father was much, he, he was much more religious and mm-hmm. the rest of the family decided to be or opted to mm-hmm. be. Yeah, well, I've always been fascinated by religion. I grew up personally with two religious strains. My dad's family is Jewish and my mom's family is Episcopalian. And so after their divorce, I experienced different religions at each house. Um, So religion in general interests me as a way of coping with the unknown, of finding community, of finding meaning in life. 
And I think you see in the book characters grappling with it in different ways. Some of them really are believers, and some of them want to be believers more than they are believers. Um, And as far as why Judaism as opposed to Christianity, First of all, I was interested in plumbing my own family's history. My great-grandparents came through Ellis Island from Eastern Europe during the pogroms. And uh, I also felt that something that's unique about Judaism as opposed to other religions is that there's really very little content about life after death. There's not a lot of solace um, in terms of thinking about a heaven or a hereafter. And so to situate this family in that psychological space without the sort of escape hatch, if you will, of a heaven, how would that affect their lives after hearing these prophecies? Right. Uh, So I'm wondering um, what you would like readers to take from this book. Well, as we were saying before, I think there's something universal about this this, book. desire to find ways of coping with uncertainty. And I hope that the book offers readers solace as they cope with that themselves. Um, I hope that it creates an opportunity to talk about some of this stuff and to connect with other people. I think often we're sort of siloed in our anxieties about mortality. So I hope it's connective. Well, it certainly uh, was for us, and we really enjoyed it. Chloe Benjamin, author of The Immortalists. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. It was a pleasure. (laughs) That's this week's podcast. Find our interview with Chloe and some of the other authors who've come through our doors at youtube.com slash WCBS 880 under the Author Talks section. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books.